The text for this morning's message will be found in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. You ever heard the phrase, someone reads the writing on the wall? Maybe you've heard that. Usually means like they see the signs and uh, they make a change, like leaving a job because things are starting to go bad. So they see the writing on the wall and they leave or they're turning back from a decision because you can see the bad outcome of it. They saw the writing on the wall, so they changed their their course of action. Well, that phrase actually is from this passage where we'll read from this morning. And it's the idea is you're listening to the warning. Are you listening to the warning? Do you see the warning that is given? And I'll just simply say this. You would think the people in places of authority in this land would see the writing on the wall that maybe God has shown them and make a change. Consistently closing down churches is a wrong decision. Preventing people from worship and saying that they cannot sing and all of these other restrictions that have been placed is a wrong decision of all places in society. Churches should remain open and active so that we can come to heal, we can come to support, we can come to praise and worship and petition our God. Not only just because we have a fundamental freedom to worship, but because the Word of God is needed in this peculiar time. So that's why we have chosen to continue to meet and to continue to sing. And yes, we could comply and be outside and not singing, um, but as I said just a moment ago, we are respectfully, gently, but firmly saying enough is enough. We worship God first and foremost. So enough politics. That's it for this morning's message at least. We'll move on to see what the Bible has to say for us. We're going to read all of chapter 5. I know it's uh, 31 verses, but it's, again, with the book of Daniel, it moves really quickly and it just draws you in. Perhaps this is a story you've heard before, but if not, um, it's one of, uh, one of the most clear and moving passages of the Bible, at least in my opinion. This whole book is, in, in, in fact. But let's pick up in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says this, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which is at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and brass and of iron and of wood and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. And the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said unto the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was king Belshazzar greatly troubled and his countenance was changed in him and his lords were astonished. 
Now the queen, verse 10, by reason of the words of the king and the lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Forasmuch as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Verse 13, Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself. And give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known unto him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty, and glory, and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling with the wild asses, and they fed him grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Verse 22, And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thy heart, Though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And in this, and this is the writing that was written. Mene, mene, te call upharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Te call, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Paris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain, 
And Darius the Mede took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We are thankful for this day and thankful for the grace that you've shown us. I ask now that you uh, would uh, open our hearts and our minds as we come to the time of preaching, Lord, that you would teach us the lesson that is here and help us to accept it, help us to look into our own hearts, make the changes uh, through your help of the Holy Spirit that need to be made. I ask that you give me clarity and strength to speak what you would have said, and nothing more, nothing less. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Quite a lengthy reading, but um, nothing tells a story like the Bible. Nothing relates to a history like the Bible. And I, I have come to absolutely love the book of Daniel. Chapter after chapter, it just speaks right to us today. It speaks right into our different um, circumstances. And it does it in a gripping and a moving way, and there's much for us to learn. And as we open this chapter, we're dropped right into a a rather striking scene. At first glance, it just seems like it's another worldly celebration. Oh, it's a king throwing a party. But there's more behind it that actually adds to the message. So there's some things we need to get straight first. And we we need to get the, the feel of the scene and the backdrop because that's important. There is a habit with with chapter breaks in the Bible like as we go from chapter 4 to chapter 5, we kind of think it's like the next day. And it's just a short time later. Well, that's not the case here. Daniel chapter 5, what we just read, takes place some 70 plus years after the events of Daniel chapter 1. Daniel has been in captivity for over 70 years. He isn't a young man anymore. He's well into his later 80s. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he's dead. King Nebuchadnezzar reigned for about 43 years, and we see, as we did last week, in his later years, he actually turns to God as he is humbled and he realizes who God is. But he's he's no longer alive. The king who's in power, or in co-power, I don't know if you noticed that when Belshazzar makes a promise. He says, you'll be the third ruler. That's not him and the queen. That's him and another king. The ruler and co-power is Belshazzar. And the scripture here calls Nebuchadnezzar his father. Well, you have to know, sometimes the Bible uses that term in a different manner. Do you know that Abraham is my father? The Bible says that. He's my father by faith. The New Testament tells us that. It's not my actual father, but he is my forefather by faith. And this is the sense in which he's using it here. Nebuchadnezzar isn't his direct father. The history gets a little bit complicated. To spare you the time, Nebuchadnezzar has a son we read about in the Bible. He's assassinated. Then two son-in-laws reign, the last of one being a man called Nabonidus. And Nabonidus co-rules with his son, Belshazzar. Confusing, I know. Maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't. Belshazzar is most likely the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And this great empire of Babylon, this once golden, shining world power, it's been on a steady decline. Gone is the golden age of splendor. Gone is the golden age of power of the first few chapters. Gone are the rulers with vision like Nebuchadnezzar and his father before him. 
No, it's been spiraling downward ever since. And this grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, well, the scripture and history are clear. Wretched would be a good term for him. He's basically a spoiled brat. He wants nothing to do with the kingdom. He wants nothing to do with the kingdom kingly duties. He wants the position and he wants the pleasure that comes with it. He's a very worldly man. Following in his grandfather's footsteps, but with a bit of a difference. See, Nebuchadnezzar followed pride in what he had built. Belshazzar follows pride and pleasure. And both, at least for a time, think they are above being accountable to God. You know what struck me? I don't read of parties like this under Nebuchadnezzar. But we do under Belshazzar. It's a downward trend. That's how society goes. It always gets worse. It never really gets better. It starts out and has this golden age, it seemed, and every empire, including America, has had a golden age, if you would, to where it was built, and then it begins to decline. And what would have happened in the early days of the nation, what would not have happened in the early days, seemed to then take place in the latter days. There's one more thing we need to know. Something that's going on in the background. Historians of this time tell us that the Medo-Persian Empire has already begun its assault on Babylon. Battles have already been fought. In fact, during the time of this writing of chapter 5, the city is surrounded by an army. It's surrounded by the Persian army. It's under siege. It's under attack. And what does this king do? Well, what do we see in the first four verses. He throws a party, right? Belshazzar the king made a great feast. He's got a thousand of his lords and uh, um, his wives and his concubines and his princes and he throws this giant party. Let's get drunk. Everybody come to the palace and let's just have a celebration. Shouldn't they be out like defending the city? Shouldn't they care for their nation? Nah, it's all good. We're fine. After all, we've got things in place to protect us from that. We've got the walls of Babylon. These walls were massive. 50 miles around the city. 80 plus feet thick. They had chariot races on the top of the walls of Babylon. 2 to 300 feet high. In fact, the river Euphrates ran through the city. So, an outside army couldn't starve them out. They've got water to water their crops. They can't get through the walls. The walls are too big. We're good. Nothing can take me down. In fact, why don't we celebrate the greatness of me, the greatness of my kingdom, and celebrate what I have built. Nobody can get to us. So he throws a party. And this party, well, Scripture is very modest about it. I won't describe the filth that was probably going on for the sake of little ears. This is bad. This is worldliness. What about these vessels? What does he say in verse 2? While he tasted the wine, he commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had taken. When he took the, the Jews into captivity, he took cups and vessels from the temple. Why does he bring that out? Bring out these things that have been taken and consecrated for the worship of God. Let's get drunk with those. Let's use those in idol worship. He's making a mockery of the things of God 
and defiling them. My question is why? Why does he do that? It seems to be a spur-of-the-moment decision, right? Everything's going on and he just gets this bright idea. No, verse 22 said that Daniel said he knew some things. Could one of those things that he knew be the dream in chapter 2? When Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom's going to fall and there's going to come another kingdom that will rise? Did Belshazzar know that? Know that it was a promise from God? Did his grandpa tell him, hey, there's coming a day, and listen, let me tell you who God is and what He does and how He brought me down so you can bank on there's a day coming when this kingdom's going to fall. Did he remember that and say, nope, I don't care what your God says. I know you're running around saying all these things about God and what He says and His power. Nope, not me. In fact, here's what we think about your God. My kingdom's not going to be taken down. Your God is nothing. Here is what we worship. Maybe. I sure see a lot of parallels today. I see a nation in decline. I see so many people seeming to have little care for our nation, little care for the things of God, and more for living it up, more for praising themselves. And they turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to God. Don't tell me about that. I don't want to hear about that. And they play around with the things of God. They make a mockery of the things of God. They have absolutely no regard for them. They count them as worthless. And they count the message that we bring. Hey, you need to turn back to God. You need to be redeemed by Christ. You need to place your faith in Him. These messages that we keep bringing, there is judgment coming, because that's part of our message, isn't it? There's a day when we'll stand before God. You need to get right with Him. They count that message as nothing, and they say, Nope, not me. That's good for you, not me. Here is what I worship. They say, this Bible is some book that God is nothing. He is some made-up thing of our imagination and that churchgoers are religious bigots and on and on and on. You've heard it. <laughs> Over the past couple months, I've, I've heard multiple times that religious fundamentalism is to blame. It's to blame for slavery. It's to blame for environmental dangers. And the latest I've heard is that the, the whole Judeo-Christian idea is a racist white invention. But that's what hatred to God does, right? And instead of worshiping God, instead of listening and reading, if you would, the writing on the wall, it's worship of any and everything else. We worship gods of our own making, gods of pleasure, gods of convenience, completely turning away from God to things and to self, to pleasure. What pains me most is sometimes when I see a blending. When so-called Christians kind of walk the line between worship of self and worship of God. It doesn't work. The idea of the prosperity gospel and all the things that go along with that. This is blasphemous. 
This is blasphemy. And the same heart that is in Belshazzar is in each and every one of us to a certain extent. We have a prideful heart. We have a heart that strays. We have a heart that worships other things. This is sin. This is our human nature doing what it does. In reality, this shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us when we see the world just doing what it does. When the world falls into drunkenness or sexual immorality or hatred toward God and His Word and His people. You see, Belshazzar is the everyday man. The everyday man without God. And into that, God's going to send a message. God is going to give a warning to the king, to the attendees of this party, and to you and me today. So let's look at verse 5. In the same hour, while this is all going on, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand. And I don't know if that's the whole hand. I don't know if it's just the fingers. I see this giant, huge hand, probably about as big as that back window, coming in and all of a sudden appears. And it rode over the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw it. All of a sudden, his hand appears. And he begins writing on the wall. The palace is buzzing with the roar of laughter and licentiousness. And I imagine you hear the clank of cups and people laughing and shouting and all that. All these people indulging their desires without a care in the world. And in an instant, God is speaking now. A hand appears, begins to write. Maybe there were shouts or screams of fear. Maybe the guards hustled into position for defense. This warning from God stops them dead in their tracks. And it totally upends everything. It totally upends the king. Look in verse 6. The king's countenance was changed. And his thoughts troubled him. So that the joints of his loins were loosed. And his knees smote against one another. (laughs) Notice what happens to this big bad guy who rules the word world. His knees are knocking, right? It says his knees are hitting against each other. Well, he's not so big and bad now, is he? And it says the joints of his loins were loosed. <laughs> that could mean his legs totally gave out, but I don't think that's what it means. The King James is very polite when it writes certain things. The joints of his loins were loosed. It's probably saying he lost all bowel control and soiled himself. All the while his knees are knocking and his countenance is changed and he's a mess. This king of the world is reduced to a quivering baby at the sight of the hand of God. And what does he do? Oh, he calls out for help. Verse 7, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldean and the Seuss. These guys are useless. We should already know that by now. Just about in every chapter they appear in Daniel. They're useless. They don't do anything. They're like the Fauci's of the day. He looks like a useless wise man, by the way. Comes in, excuse me, um, let, me, let, me let me try to give my, my little take on things. He's never right. They're, excuse me. They're never right. They're never right. He calls them in and says, if you, if you can interpret this, I'll, I'll give you a a robe of scarlet, and you have a chain of gold, and you'll be third in power. Verse 8, Then came in all the king's wise men. Kind of reminds me of a nursery rhyme, right? All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. They all come in, they couldn't read the writing, and they can't make it, they can't even read it, they can't even interpret it. They can't. Can I just say, 
When will we learn that the experts of the world cannot give us the advice we need? I don't care how many letters you have after your name. Worldly wisdom does nothing for us in the end. It might help here and there. But the thing that speaks to our hearts, the thing that heals our hearts, that heals our spirit, that makes us right before God, is the very Word of God and the Spirit of God that accompanies it. It is the preaching of the Word. It is the reading and the understanding of the Word. It's God whose advice we need. So why do we continually go and search the world? I haven't been in a bookstore in a while. I don't think I can go in, right? Can I? I don't know. Maybe it's open, maybe it's not. <laughs> haven't been in one in a while, but the last time I, I, I went in, uh, I didn't even know what it was for. But I like to go and see how big the Bible section is, if there is one at all. Um, and by the way, this is even true for a Bible bookstore. The Bible section seemed to have shrunk because it's got like two cases. And you know what the most prevalent is? Self-help. Some form or another, self-help. Chicken soup for the soul and seven steps to this and 11 ways to that. And people buy it up, man. Because they think that's the answer. May I say, in that small little section is the answer you need, the Bible. We ought to turn to that first, to this. Lord, what do you say? What do you say about what's going on? How do I handle all of the unrest in society? Because you know what? We can kind of get like the king where our knees are knocking and we can get pretty undone when some of these things happen. Let's, let's be honest. Some of these things that have happened have been scary or shaking to us. Well, maybe it's not in society. Maybe it's something that just happens. It's a trial we go through. or so we, we know at those times in our life when we can be on shaky ground and a little scared. Don't turn to the world. Don't turn on the news. Don't go to social media. Go to the Word. Lord, help me. How do I handle this? Tell me what this means. So he turns to the wise men, makes a promise to them, and of course doesn't work out. I want you to notice now the good advice of an older queen. Let's pick it up in verse 10. Now the queen, by the reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. You know what she's saying? Chill out. Calm down a little bit. Calm down. Verse 11. There is a man in thy kingdom. I love that phrase. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods. Remember we talked about that translation last week, that word gods is Elohim, the same one used for God in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He has the spirit of God. And he has light and understanding and wisdom. In fact, so much Nebuchadnezzar made him the master of these guys that you're calling. Sometimes we're the last call, you understand? The guy who's in charge of all these wise men wasn't called. Sometimes we're the last ones called. And he has an excellent spirit, verse 12, and knowledge and understanding, interprets dreams and shows hard sentences and dissolving of doubts. These were found in the same Daniel. Call him. Call him. This is most likely his mother, the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. 
And what she says is golden. Listen, my friends, there is so much value in the advice and experience of older people who have walked with God. There is so much experience and value, excuse me, there's so much value in those who have lived and experienced the working of God, and we ought to listen. This generation needs to be reminded of some things. Some things their fathers know. Some things their grandfathers know. We don't need new truth today. We don't need a new angle on things. A total rearranging. The kids don't need to be taught a new view on marriage. A new view on human gender. We don't need new truth. We need the old truth. In fact, it's in Jeremiah that says, show me the old paths because the new ways haven't worked. There's an old song that rings in my head, give me that old time religion. It was good for my father. It was good for my mother. It's good enough for me. So many today have forgot what their grandfathers knew. So many people have forgot what their family knew. And it wasn't that it wasn't taught them. They know, they just ignore it because they don't like the truth. They ignore the counsel. They ignore the warnings and the examples. That's fine for you. I'm going to go my own way. They ignore the man of God. Which is there in verse 11. There is a man. There is a man in your kingdom who speaks for God. The one that has been forgotten. The one who has been cast aside. You know, we pastors preach week after week. We pour in all of our heart and our soul to bring the message from the Word of God. Week after week, pleading and preaching the message of God that it might appeal to minds and it might appeal to hearts as the Spirit works through the Word. God has His men placed in different cities all across let's just take Southern California, all across cities. God has His men preaching And doing our best to be His voice in this culture. God always has a man in the kingdom. But do you understand it's not just me? If you took the description of Daniel that's given here, and I don't have time to go back into it, but if you you compared that description of Daniel, like light and wisdom and understanding all that, and you compared it to Isaiah, as he uh, um, describes the Messiah who's coming, they're the same. We said at the start of this that Daniel is a type of Christ. He is an example of Christ. Aren't we supposed to be the same thing? Isn't that why we're called Christians? So that we might be like Christ? And the goal is to be made conformable to His image as the Spirit works on us and changes our heart and minds that we might be a shining light. Let the What does the Bible say? Let your, oh man, let your good works so shine before men. Let your light so shine before men that they may behold your good works and by them glorify your God which is in heaven. That's a paraphrase, but you get what I'm saying. Aren't we to be a light, an example? Do people in your life know that there is a man or woman of God among them? So he brings Daniel in, which means Daniel wasn't there. You understand that? Daniel's not at the party. He's not standing in a corner. He's not there. We ought to abstain from all appearance of evil. I don't care what the world does. I don't care how appealing it is. We ought not to be there. We don't do some things because we're Christian. We don't partake some things. We don't drink some things. We don't even be around some things because we are a holy people. Maybe we need to be reminded of that. Daniel wasn't there. They call him in. 
Verse 13, just a couple things to pull out. Notice what the king says to him. Daniel's brought in before the king, and the king spake unto him. I don't know if in your Bible the word art or R is written in italics. It usually means it's added. So this is what the king says. You're that, Daniel. Oh, you're that, Daniel. Whom my father brought captive. Verse 14. I've heard of you. Something about the Spirit of God's being in you and all this. Verse 15. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read the writing but they couldn't. Verse 16, I've heard of you, that thou canst make interpretations that dissolve doubts. Now, if you can do this, you'll get the reward. This is a condescending attitude. Oh, you're that guy. Yeah, I've heard of you. If you can, you'll get this. By the way, what a witness. Whether it's condescending or not, what a witness to be known as that Christian. I wish people would know me as that. I don't care if they get irritated about it or if they like it. Oh, you're that Christian. You're that guy that's always talking about God. Yep, that's me. That's what I want to be known for. Above anything else in my life, I want to be known like Daniel's. Oh, you're that guy. But it's the message that Daniel gives that stands out to me this morning. I'm going to spend the remainder of our time. So, the promise is given. Let's pick it up in verse 17. And Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself. He's an old man by now. He's disposed with the, O oh, king, live forever. <laughs> I can just hear the tone in his voice. Let your gifts be to yourself. Give thy rewards to another. I will read the writing to the king, and I will make known to him the interpretation. Number one, keep your things. I don't want your things. Oh, that we would say that a little more. I don't want your things, world. Are you chasing this morning the robe of position or the gold chain of wealth? Daniel says, I don't need that. Keep it. And number two, let me remind you of something. Number one, keep your things. Number two, let me remind you of something. Verse 18. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom. See what he's saying? This is all given to your father, your grandfather, by God. And he gave him the kingdom of majesty and glory and honor. And he had this position of power, verse 19, that all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. He did what he wanted, verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Remember last week? How he was driven from his kingdom and it became for seven years like an animal? The end of verse 21 says, That happened till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and he appointed over it, he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Let me remind you of some things, son. Remember your grandpa and what happened to him? In fact, yes, you do. Verse 22, And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thy heart, though thou knewest all this. You know this. It's been told to you. You are without excuse. No one is, by the way. Romans 1 makes that clear. There is none of us who can sit here this morning and say God does not exist. 
I find no evidence that gods exist. No one can say that. If there is a creation, as was talked about this morning, you can just walk out these doors and view the beauty of it. If there is a creation, then there must be a creator. Just turn on the news for a bit and you see the great evil in the world. Well, if there's evil, then there must be good. These simple concepts can be understood by a child. And it's not so much that we we as a human race reject God on those aspects. It's that we reject God because we understand if He exists, then we are accountable to Him. If He is, and He is holy and righteous and perfect, we see then that we are sinners and we are fallen and we are guilty before Him. We have to answer for our actions. He is the Most High God that rules all of creation. And we answer to Him as King of all. King Nebuchadnezzar had to learn this. And Daniel says, Belshazzar, you need to learn this. Because if Nebuchadnezzar had to learn it, so do you. And listen, if they need to, so do we. We must answer to God as He rules all of creation. The Bible is very clear in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You see, we all face God. We all face Him to answer for the things done in this life. No amount of ignoring Him is going to change that. Ignore Him all you want. Reject Him all you want. It doesn't change the fact you stand before Him someday. No amount of partying is going to do away with that. No amount of denial is going to change that. And deep down you know this, just as the king did. And then he begins to drive it home. In verse 22 and 23, he says, Verse 23 and verse 24, he says, You lifted up yourself. You lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You have brought all these things in. And the God who holds your life in His hands and all your ways, you have not glorified. You know all of this. You see? He says, Belshazzar, You are responsible. You are to blame. Not somebody else. Not some circumstance. You've made these choices. It's you. May I say to you this morning, it's you. It's me. I am responsible for the choices I make. I can't blame anyone else. I can't blame anything else. You alone stand accountable to the Creator of all things. The Bible is very clear about this. We will give an answer to Him. And I'm speaking to all who are listening, whether you know Him as Savior and you've walked with Him for many years or not. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in His body according to that He hath done, whether it be good or bad. You understand that? We will stand and answer for all the good and the bad that we've done. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every word, every word. That day is coming for all. Revelation 20 tells us about it. We don't have time to go there. That we will stand before His judgment seat. The question is, will you listen to the warning that is given? Listen closely what God says to this king and what he says to you and me today. Listen as Daniel interprets the writing. Verse 25, this is the writing that was written. Mene means numbered. Tekal means balanced. 
Upharsin is just a plural of Paris. Divided. Numbered, numbered, balanced, divided. In fact, Daniel goes in to give the interpretation. Verse 26, this is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. To call, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. And then verse 28, your kingdom is divided. God is exact in his measuring and you are lacking and now judgment is coming. That's what the message is. You need to hear that this morning. You need to consider that. How do you measure up? How do you measure up? What tips the scales in your life? In your heart, in your mind? What outweighs the rest? Is it God or is it self? Is it good and righteous things or is it bad? And where are we found wanting today? If we could see this this representation of our actions and of our thoughts and the the true desires of our heart and what really consists, what our life consists of, if if on one side we have God and His Word and all that goes with living for Him and on the other everything else, what does your balance look like? Does righteousness outweigh unrighteousness? Does God outweigh self? That's something we need to consider. Because we are being weighed. We are being measured. Now let me just be crystal clear about one thing. Until you know Christ as Savior, nothing tips the balance. Nothing. No good works. No good intentions. It is the blood of Christ that saves us from our sin. Period. It is faith in Him that brings forgiveness of sins. As He went to that cross 2,000 years ago and shed the blood that gives us remissions of sins, that we might trust Him in faith, that we might place our faith in Him, that He died for me. He took my sins and paid my debt on that cross. Until that happens for you personally, nothing tips the balance. And you can try your best to pile on everything you can. You can try to be good and give money and attend church or not be as bad as others. That scale will not budge. None of that gets you into heaven. It only happens when you trust Him. When you ask Him for forgiveness and salvation. That that balance won't move and you will come up wanting and lacking for eternity until that happens. It's Jesus that tips the scales. It's Christ who has shed His blood for the remission of our sins. You see, the Bible is clear that when we place our faith in Him, when we trust Him and believe that He died for me, that moment something happens. It says we are justified by faith. Justified. If you could view those scales and all of your sins of the past put on them, at the moment that you believe in Christ, All of those sins are gone. Vanished. There's nothing on the scale anymore. Because He's forgiven. And we stand justified. Forgiven of sin. Made a new creation in Him. And we stand redeemed. Listen, there is one thing I know for absolute certainty. When my life here ends, and I stand before God on that judgment day, I can say with 100% certainty, Christ is my Savior. 
I have trusted Him. He paid the debt for me, and I am forgiven of my sins. Can you say that this morning? Oh, I pray that you can. Christ loves you. God loves you enough to send His own Son to die for your sins, that you might be saved. But what about after that, as we move to a close? What about after you've trusted Him? You know, the Bible tells us we're a new creation and we're supposed to live a new life. And that's what baptism and church membership and witnessing and all of that is all about. What about after that happens? Can we get off track? Well, sure we can, right? In fact, one of the greatest tools of the devil is distraction. A distraction of the mind through the busyness of the day and the schedules and gets our thinking off of God. A distraction of the heart to the things of the world and He he turns us away from what we should be doing and He fills our minds and our hearts with all kinds of other things. Things of gold and silver and brass and iron and wood and stone. Until we lose our focus and we begin to elevate those things higher than the highest. So that the balance of what we should be doing and what we are doing tips the way of wrong. And we are found wanting. Thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. Again, the Bible is clear that we will stand before Him and give account for all those things. So my question this morning is what will it be? Don't come up lacking Instead, listen, read the writing on the wall that was given to this king and is given to us today. God is watching. God is looking in our lives. And if the, what do the balances say in our own heart? Are we wanting as this king was? Well, he holds true to his word. He hears this. He holds true to his word. Verse 29, he gives him the stuff. We don't see any repentance. In fact, you know what I think he did? I think he returned to what he was doing. Remember, he knows the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He knows God gave his grandpa 12 more months. You know what was probably in Belshazzar's mind? I got time. I got time. Not tonight. I got time. Don't hear these words today and say, oh, how nice. What a good message. What a moving message, and then go right back doing the same thing you were doing before. Make the change. Tip the balance. Let's just be real. You're not guaranteed lunch. You're not guaranteed to hear the end of the sermon or walk out this door. The time could come for any of us. Where are the balances right here and right now? Because judgment could be at the door for you or me. And we don't even know it. Verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar the king of Chaldean slain, and Darius the Mede took the kingdom. You know what happened that night? They were partying. They left the city unguarded. And the surrounding army diverted the river. They dammed up the Euphrates so that it sunk to waist deep, and they walked under the wall. They walked right into the city and the sounds of the party drowned out the sounds of the alarm so that by the time this was all done they walked into the throne room 
killed the king, and it was done. This party was literally playing music as the Titanic sank. Look around us. Society is doing the same. God's judgment is coming, whether it's in the next few years or eternity when we all stand before Him. Make no mistake, God's the day of judgment is coming. Don't join in with the rest of the world and be caught in the judgment. No, I pray that we would listen. Listen to the writing on the wall. Read the writing on the wall. Maybe there's some things we need to get away from. How do you measure up this morning? I can't say, I can't speak for anybody else's heart here but my own. And I'll tell you what, I don't say these things to make you feel bad or give you a sense of guilt. No, we need to see the raw reality of how we stand before God. Because we have the chance right here and right now in this life to get things right before we spend eternity with Him. And I know there are some things I've had to go over the scale and kick it off. I want those out because it's weighing me the wrong way. In fact, Paul says that, no, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews says that, that we need to run the race without burden, to cast off these things that weigh us down. So many things that weigh us down and tip the balance the other way, right? Will you do the same? The Scripture says over and over, today is the day. Today is the day. If you find there's some things in your life that maybe are weighing you or you found lacking in, now's the time to get it right. Now's the time to repent and turn away from those things. If you are here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior and that assured, blessed assurance of spending eternity with Him is not in your heart, and you know that you will face judgment for God for eternity, now is the time I pray that you would bow before Him and ask forgiveness of sins and ask Him to save you. The writing on the wall is there. The question is, will we listen? How do you measure up? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this day. Lord, I ask that You would use this message now as You so powerfully talk to this pagan king through this message. Lord, let it ring on our hearts that we, not, we might not be found lacking or wanting in area, any area, Lord, but fully and completely trusting You. Work among us as You see fit, Lord, in each individual heart. Do the work that I cannot do, in drawing and convicting and leading and strengthening and guiding. I ask that You do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.